The Smart Nutrition Made Simple Show, episode number 41. Welcome to the show where we help you make smart nutrition simple so that you can fuel your best with less. Less time, less money, and less stress. I'm Ben Brown, co-founder and CEO of BSL Nutrition, and I'm excited to have you join me on this journey. Each week, I'll be sharing expert advice from leaders in the field of nutrition, fitness, lifestyle, and supplementation who actually practice what they preach and are also on a mission to positively impact as many people as possible in a meaningful way. Today's episode is brought to you by my nutrition company, BSL Nutrition, and our all-in-one training drink called Complete Essentials. When you use the Complete Essentials, you'll no longer need pre, during, and post-workout supplements. You can save time, money, and energy, and get all the beneficial nutrients you need in one delicious, easy-to-mix drink. Make sure you guys stay tuned after the show where I'll share a nice little discount for all of our listeners on your first product purchase. Hey, what's up, guys? Welcome to episode number 41 of the Smart Nutrition Made Simple Show. I'm your host, Ben Brown, co-founder and CEO of BSLNutrition.com. Today on the show, we have Charlie Weingroff. Charlie is often recognized as one of the top performance experts and physical experts in the world. He's currently based out of New York City and New Jersey and is often traveling to consult and treat all over the globe. His Training Equals Rehab DVD and seminar series is also recognized as selling close to 2,000 copies of the three DVD sets combined. Charlie is a former powerlifter and has worked with general population to elite professional and Olympic athletes since his working career began in 1988. Charlie's a former strength coach for the 76ers basketball team. He's a former lead physical therapist for Marine Corps, Special Operations Command, Director of Physical Performance for Men's Canada Basketball, consultant for pro sports teams and athletes globally the list goes on and on and on my friends and i'm super excited to have him on the show today so that we can talk about training and rehab and the synergy between those two you know i know this isn't nutrition related but i really wanted to address an easy barrier to entry for people and for a lot of people nutrition can become overly complex and i understand that because there's so much information out there and so when i say easy barrier to entry, it means it's almost easiest to not worry about nutrition and just start exercising. But the question becomes, where do I start? Do I start with weight training? Do I start with cardio? How intense should it be? Should I be doing the types of training programs that I was doing in college? Should I be going out and running sprints? And this is all for a lot of us that are 10 or 15 or more years out of training consistently. And now we're just trying to get back into the swing of things. And so I think Charlie does a really good job of giving us some areas to look at how to get some basic assessments going on the body, what levels of intensity we need to start training at, and going on with that. And so I hope you guys enjoy the show. I want to thank you for taking the time out of your busy day to join me. And and as always, if you feel like there's anything in this episode that really resonates with you or you feel could positively impact someone you care about, then please, please share this with them. Subscribe on iTunes and leave us a positive rating and review so that we can help more people make smart nutrition simple. I appreciate each and every one of you. If you have any questions related to nutrition or training or supplementation or lifestyle, then please just email me personally, ben at bslnutrition.com. I will go out of my way to make sure that I answer your questions. And with that said, let's uh, go ahead and jump in. Here's Charlie Weingroff. All right, Charlie, welcome to the Smart Nutrition Made Simple Show. How you doing, brother? What's up, man? Thank you for having me. Oh, man, it's, I'm super excited to have you on the show. 
Um, I've kind of been following your work for a little bit, or a little while. We have some mutual friends in common and I've heard yeah. nothing but good things. And I'm especially excited to have you on the show because we're diving into the realm of, of rehabilitation, of training methodology. And, and despite the fact that this is kind of a nutrition related show, I think that it's especially relevant for a lot of the people listening because um, we're all trying to figure out what the best methodology is to be utilizing on our on our road to health, right? Should be we should be we weight training? Should we be doing CrossFit? Should we be doing high intensity interval training? Like all of this thing. And with your background, I think you're the perfect person to glean some insight from. So, with that said, maybe you could give us just a quick couple minute version of of your background and and why you're the best in the industry at what you do. <laughs> uh, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna say the second part. If somebody else wants to say that about me, uh, I will be happily say thank you. Man, this is your stage to shine. Yeah. Come on, let it out. The, I have some uh, people very close to me to say I roll my eyes a lot, so uh, uh, I'll do that on that one. Uh, I, I think. I think yeah, it's, it's actually a very interesting question because uh, I don't. Uh, I don't necessarily relish, but I, I don't really. Describe. I think we're all the same. Like, I think we all have like different education and we have different things that we're really good at. And we have, and we all have different things that we want to get better at, but ultimately we all we're, like the human body is like a, a painting and, and we all, we just have different color paint. We all, but we're all painting the picture. Uh, we just use different brushes or different colors. So uh, I think when you look at things in a, a little bit of a uh, 50,000 uh, foot view, as I just did, I'm not different uh, than someone that deals with nutrition. Uh, I'd like to think that we all should know enough about everything so that we can get the person to the, uh, get the, the client, the patient to the right uh, paintbrush so that they can be painted with the right color. Uh, I know enough about some things. I know very little about others, but what I think we should all know is when we're not the right person to, to, be, to be intervening. Uh, so I've been lucky that I've, I've been able to cultivate that thought process in, in certain work environments where I've probably been maybe attractive to the work environment because by definition, I'm a physical therapist. Uh, I have my doctorate in, in physical therapy in, I think, 2010. Um, I graduated from PT school in 1999, uh, graduated from uh, college in, uh, in 1996, and uh, I've been very, whatever the right word is, uh, lucky working in professional sports uh, and military uh, where a lot of the barriers to what we do in human performance are not there. We have financial resources. We have elite human beings that uh, can skip steps without missing anything. So you really get to, to try a lot of things that maybe a lot of other people don't. And the more you try, the more mistakes you make. The more mistakes you make, you realize not to make them again, and you, and you can start to feel strongly. So what's interesting is that because I am a physical therapist, um, a lot of people know me as such, but other people don't even know that I'm a physical therapist. Mm-hmm. They, they, they bucket uh, a little intro like this where they do it. Is, uh, they'll bucket me as, as a strength and conditioning coach or a performance guy. Uh, so my view on the human body, I think that uh, what most people think physical therapists or chiros do, extremely, extremely important. I think it's, it drags on a lot longer than what's required, and they don't get into the next step uh, of, of uh, adaptation 
And that's not a knock on somebody unless it's a knock on somebody. So uh, a lot of people will look at what I do and, and, and bucket more strength and conditioning uh, or fitness. And mm-hmm. that's okay because I don't look at training and rehab as, as different processes when you have a, a 50,000 uh, foot view of, of, uh, of just how, how do we solve problems uh, or, or create a more robust a human being from a from a physical or neurological level. No, it's a good description, and I, I it seems to me from the outside in that you've done a good job of kind of synergizing all of those spectrums, everything from if and if we want to put it in this position of physical therapy, all the way you know through soft tissue, through um, strength and conditioning, and sport performance. It seems like you've you know you've done well doing all of those things. But with that said, uh, and so that we're all clear, maybe you could help us differentiate a little bit between what you consider to be like what. What's the rehab? You know, what do you classify as rehab? What should someone be looking for in rehab versus, you know, um, training? And where does that distinction lie, at, for, at least for you and your practice? Yeah. So, so uh, if there is uh, an objective measure uh, that involves the joints of the body, so now we're going to, if we're going to talk about rehab or training, uh, from a physical uh, uh, perspective, that we have to be moving. Now, I could take the definitions a little further back, and training and rehab could apply to uh, medical service. It can apply to fitness. It can apply to sleep, uh, nutrition supplementation, psychology, or load management. So those, to me, are like the six hmm. buckets of, of techniques. And, and if another word makes sense, like if somebody didn't like their, their favorite word wasn't there, I would say, oh, I would consider that very important in this category. My words don't necessarily matter other than to create uh, simplicity and categorization. But when it comes to, to the joints uh, of the body, which are, are the only real required entity to discuss movement, uh, if, if, if an industry standard is not met, then I would call that rehab. Okay, so if if your joint does not move to an industry standard, the processes of of uh, of restoring industry standard, I would consider a rehab technique. Now, that doesn't mean it's manual therapy. Uh, it could be if your cardiovascular fitness is below industry standard, I would consider that a rehabilitated approach because we are by definition rehabilitating this system. Uh, you could use a nutrition technique. You could use sleep technique to rehabilitate uh, the joint position. Like, what is, uh, If the evaluation is objective, we should be able to use any technique to create a solution. But when it comes to the joints, if it's beneath industry standard and you're not moving to an industry standard, we should be rehabilitating it. If you are at or above industry standard, techniques to improve the performance would be training and conditioning. So by definition, conditioning the body is to uh, create a level of, of normalcy, uh, whereas the body can sustain this current form of stress and then be able to exceed it. So that's a, a training process. It's a conditioning process. But you have to be above industry standard in order to create a more robust uh, entity. So that's how I would describe it. If it's, if it's, uh, if it's beneath industry standard, it's rehab. If it's improving industry standard that's already above uh, um, above an acceptable level, then I'd call that training. What are you seeing as being one of the barriers uh, of progression between, 
and I don't know if there necessarily is one, but I feel like I've seen in that we have a, a pretty um, standardized rehabilitation process, at least as it pertains to like physical therapy clinics and that type of model. Um, but I'm not so sure that there's a logical progression in terms of, I feel like people get to a certain point within the rehabilitation process. And then it's kind of like, there's no synergy between ending physical therapy and, 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 and having an ongoing conditioning or, or training yeah. process. Does that, does that make sense? Oh, I, I, I agree. Uh, it, it makes sense that you're identifying it, but it's very difficult to discuss because it doesn't make any sense, at least to me, at least to me. Uh, you, you're, you're describing in some ways uh, 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 an incredible sociological phenomenon in our country uh, because physical therapy is considered uh, a healthcare service, at which point uh, the American public thinks that, that their insurance should be, uh, uh, be used for this service. So if their shoulder hurts, yeah. they don't, we, American public does not think they should have to use their credit card to make their shoulder not hurt. Now, a lot of people do. Maybe a lot of people that are interested in improving themselves that they would be listening to this, they may think that. Um, but most people, you know, that, that it just doesn't happen. So, so then the, the service of physical therapy gets shaped and formatted and boxed into how it's compensated, you know, which is very, very poorly. So you're describing a negative, which is the one piece that there's no carryover. Uh, well, the reason that it's negative is because the, the, it doesn't, and it doesn't make sense because it doesn't make sense that they're getting paid by a third entity. So like when you go to the hospital, you go in and you get service from a doctor and a nurse, et cetera, and a third entity pays most of the bill. It's, it's just, I mean, I don't know what business this is, why, why this is considered you know, normal. Um, now, and now that, that, that makes the next jump is, what, so you have to be rich to get health care? No, you, we're at a position that you kind of have to be whatever you define as rich to get good health care. And that's just the way it is right now. And until that uh, uh, model is amended, uh, you know, the, the, it makes it very challenging to take that process into fitness, which is why you wouldn't need as much health care if, if people were fit. Mm -hmm. uh, if, strong, if people had cardiovascular fitness, if they had uh, articular health, if they had lots of these other things, there wouldn't be a need for those things. But then the model you know, kind of creates that. So the model doesn't compensate. It doesn't reward the link that you're asking about. So there is now in my mind, there's a very contiguous systematic approach for anybody because if your shoulder is hurt, I'm going to, my, my evaluation model, which is not proprietary to me, and, and there's probably a lot of ways that it can be done, we, we will use rehabilitative techniques because your shoulder is under, under industry standard, but your hips and knees and feet might be well above. And it's going to give me some uh, information and direction on how I can better improve that. Because if I never did anything to your shoulder and we just trained the holy hell out of your hips with a very intelligent uh, approach that we think can have a systemic effect, a lot of people's shoulders feel better and all you just did was rest. Mm -hmm. uh, I think people are, are finding that. Now, there's another problem though with this, which is what your original problem, is that because there are people that are willing to use their credit card to feel better and because they found in some ways what you're finding that the you know, orthopedic surgeons and sports medicine physicians and physical therapists are not 
meeting their demands. With their, their, I'm not saying they're bad people. I'm not saying they steal, you know, but they're not good at what they do. And that's okay. Like, I, I think that's a real challenge that we have in our profession that it, we think that if there's some suggestion that someone's not talented at what they do, it's this personal affront. Mm. Like, it's okay to say, like, if there's a lot of things that I'm not good at, if you said them, you know, I would have to evaluate, like, really, why are you saying that to me? Like, are you trying to hurt me? Or are you just recognizing the fact? (laughs) I mean, a lot of of people, and because, you know, people are are not incentivized to be great because they can't get paid anymore, then they're just not, they're typically not good at what they do. So uh, that, that, that's a fact. So then people will then go to the trainer who, you know, starts to become uh, a physical therapist uh, from going to a two-day course. And they're doing all sorts of stuff that maybe helps. You know, we, we see YouTube videos where two people get help, but we don't see the 18 where they got, they got a lot worse. So it's a really, really uh, uh, wacky uh, system in place. And a lot of it is based on uh, the, the way that, that people are compensated. Uh, yeah. So it doesn't, I don't think it has to be that way, but that's the way it is. And, uh, you know, you try to do as, uh, at least for me, uh, because a lot of it is financial, I'll decide my fiduciary responsibility in terms of uh, how I provide service, you know, without what I feel is uh, a, a um, proper compensation. And I'll serve the people that do and, and try to, to help as many people as we can. But it's a, it's a weird thing where, you know, the reason why, why is it like that? And I think that, well, yeah, I mean, look, you know, it's, it's the same as conventional medicine. It's the same yeah. as a lot of what we do in, in nutrition is we tend to get overly myopic about certain things and then use that as, as, you know, being the end all be all. And as you're showing through your work that obviously there's various degrees of, of every level of whether it be rehab to soft tissue to um, active release to strength and conditioning to sport performance that can be applied at various times for the individual based on whatever it is that they're dealing with. So let's just talk down to the general population for a second and talk about the fact that, you know, we're in a time where there's a lot of people that are looking to get healthier. They're, they, they understand, right? We understand the importance of movement. And it doesn't mean we're not, we're, we're doing it, but we want to get more active. We're looking to implement some level of strength and conditioning. We understand the importance of having uh, higher amounts of muscle mass, especially as we age, to prevent sarcopenia. And so, from your experience, like, what are steps that people should be doing? what are kind of the, the areas of entry that they should be looking for um, to help create the most, I don't know, for lack of a better term, efficiency in, uh, in their body uh, to prevent injury, things like that. I, I think there's probably multiple windows that we can become more bulletproof. And, and I think that's really what you're asking. Yeah. Uh, we can, uh, but, but a lot of that has to be tied to what are the activities or environment or lifestyle that the person's engaging in. For instance, at a concept level, it would be the same as the old lady that just uh, wants to walk in the mall than, than, than a competitive uh, athlete. Yeah, sure. Uh, concepts are the same. You have to exceed the demands of your environment uh, so the body adapts so that when those uh, – so then the, the demands of the environment is beneath your current status. So what may be of high, high value for a competitive athlete is absurd to even try to ask a little lady to, to uh, adapt to. 
even though the system, you know, should be able to respond the same way, much slower uh, mm. for an older individual or other types of compromise. But, but now how that is, uh, are, do you have the joint positions for the activities that you're doing? If you can't lift your arm over your head, don't military press. I mean, it's almost like a common sense uh, level. And there's uh, some very rudimentary approaches, like what I just described to evaluate for that. And there's some more um, keen ways to do it where, you know, we can skip steps without missing anything, something that we mentioned before. Uh, there's cardiovascular or strength demands. Uh, so if you need to do something with fatigue, well, when that fatigue hits, I need you to have been there before. So your heart and capillaries and lungs all, you know, are not challenged. So you can continue the activity and continue the activity at the strategy that you're, you know, satisfied with. You know, we get hurt when we're tired. We keep going because mentally, and we do have enough energy production to technically keep going, but strategy changes. And that strategy may no longer be efficient uh, for joint health. The, you know, your back goes out, you know, when you're tired, but it didn't hurt. Sure. Was there really something wrong with your back or you just did something differently when you got tired? So we should analyze that and match those uh, demands. Uh, then, then there's something maybe a little bit more um, uh, that's, those are the two, the two pieces that I think most people will, will really get after. But the, the, the more advanced or somebody that trains more often or in, in more demanding situations, we should also appreciate is today a good day? And maybe we can call that readiness. Uh, like, mm. Are, uh, are you ready for what you had planned today? Are you ready for anything? Maybe you should do 50% of what you had planned. How do we determine that? There, there's a, well, I mean, the, the most rudimentary way would be called, considered cybernetic. How do you feel? Yeah. Like, do you, do you feel good today? Do you not feel good? We've all gone under a bar and lifted it off and been like, yo, is there wheels on here? And it's like really, really heavy, but it's an empty bar. And then other days you lift off an empty bar and it's like, man, mm, today I got it. And you're, and you're already, you know, you just popped out 20 reps on an empty bar and you know, you know today is going to be a good day. Now that's cybernetic. That's probably the weakest. It's only useful for you. Yeah, and you could be wrong. Like you, you might not feel good later in the day. But there's other ways. I mean, there's very, very sensitive medical tests that can tell us things about our blood on a, on a day-to-day basis that may or may not be consistent with what we had planned. Uh, there's technology that maybe measures electrical uh, you know, discharge you know, from the heart or the brain, which can tell us today is a good day or, or not a good day. Things like HRV. And yeah, we've, we've talked a little bit about HRV, and it seems like a, a reasonably uh, easy entry point for people to be able to self-assess um, their readiness for exercise. Yeah. I, I agree. I, I think we should also though, be careful about um, with, with it being easy comes this, uh, assumption that it's a, and because it's a very linear, uh, message, like it, it, this whole notion of red light, green light is, is probably dangerous because mm-hmm. HRV is just one of several, um, modules in the body that release it. Yeah. That can be read electrically that will give us similar information. So for instance, HRV may be really, really, uh, uh, advantageous, to adapt to training, that it's not like the technology is wrong. However, because it's only measuring one system, there the other four, the other six, whatever, might be going the other direction at which that technology might give you a red light where your HRV may give you a, a, a green light. Uh, so, and then, and then there's, there's different forms of analyzing your load. So 
you know, a, a very rudimentary again. Golly, if you went heavy on Monday, I don't know if going heavy is a good day Tuesday. Just a, a very traditional high-low uh, programming approach. Um, some kind of periodization, which is planning. And, and if you plan, but now maybe you didn't sleep well. Your periodization did not account for planning. So it's, it's, it, you're going you're gonna to miss some people. Like that's not going to be the best approach. But yeah, it, it's, uh, there's, there's different tests. Uh, you can squeeze some kind of dynamometer. And after the 19th time of squeezing the dynamometer in between your knees or in your grip, uh, you're still 30% beneath your best number uh, that you measured when you started and you were fresh. Today's not a good day. Like, these are lie detector tests. Vertical jump. Um, throwing a med ball, uh, if you're a certain percentage below, but now you have to do these things every day so you can start to build up a database. Uh, yeah, these are all very easy things to do, uh, um, easy entry points. In fact, probably easier than strapping up and, 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 and uh, using your phone to, uh, or, or some kind of technology. So there's different tests you can, you can run to start to determine, is today a good day? Uh, and then the last uh, window would be the like sensory systems. So, you know, if your balance is off that day, and this is probably more for a more discerning athlete. Uh, so I don't know if it's important to get into it, but uh, I would call those four components, uh, movement, output, readiness, and sensory systems. So it's a, uh, you know, movement and output would probably be the most useful for for the folks that I think are, are listening today. Yeah, I think those are really relevant. I, I know for me personally, and, and from what I've seen with clients, just our, our self-perception can be um, difficult to assess in that, and, and I'm sure you're familiar, is you know, we have those days where we feel like we're dragging ass to the gym, but then we get under the bar, we get a couple you know, a couple sets in, and then all of a sudden we're, we're you know, having a phenomenal phenomenal strength day. Now, now whether or not that's good for us in the long term, what it's doing to our nervous system or whatever, I'm not sure, but, but just from a self-perception standpoint, but what I'm, what I've seen and what I'm seeing a lot of is, especially with guys, especially with kind of those weekend warriors, a lot of guys that, you know, played college sports or were really competitive with high school sports and spent a lot of time lifting, then we go through this period of uh, 10 or 15 years, right? Maybe marriage, maybe a couple of young kids. They let themselves go to a degree and then they want to start to get back into shape. And I can't tell you how many guys I talk to that essentially come back and say, yeah, so I, you know, I'm starting on Monday and I'm going out and I'm hitting our rugby workout from, you know, 15 years ago and they're doing 30 sets of something and it's, and they get one training session and they're crushed for a week. And so my question is for most people that are, let's, let's just use an example to be specific um, is they're, they're getting into strength training. You know, where does that dose response lie Again, we're talking general population. We're talking a relatively untrained population. They have some lifting experience in the past or maybe on and off for the past year or two. Um, you know, what, what kind of should we be looking for? I, I have the, you know, I feel like guys specifically want to do far more than what they really need to do. The first step is to, whether you do it yourself or you have somebody do it with you, some kind of evaluation to determine uh, if there's anything hiding in terms of... What would of, be your evaluation of choice? 
So if, if the person did not express pain, and again, you know, maybe they they don't know how to verbalize the pain, we'd use the I'd use the functional movement screen. Okay. And and we're just trying to determine if joints can get into the right positions to absorb and adapt to stress. If you showed me the rugby workout, I would then match up the joint positions uh, to the to the from uh, that the FMS told us. If the person had pain, we'd use the SFMA. And we can still match up the joint positions. Now, if a joint is painful, I don't expect it to undergo, you know, challenge. You know, uh, it, it's not going, I, I would not expect it to adapt when the joint is in pain. If the joint can't get into the right positions with, a, with, a, with ease, with buffer, you know, uh, buffer zone, I would not expect the, the program to, to be successful. So that's the first step. So let's say we're clear that you have everything that, that you require for the exercises that you're choosing. Now, if you're not choosing the exercises and your coach is choosing the exercises, then it's fine. But most of the time, I think the person you're talking about has like an exercise plan on a piece of paper. It's yeah, on I paper. mean, this is like something yeah. they pulled out of their college notebook. And that's fine. You know. it, it was, it's a good program for someone. Sure. I think that the, the thought process is let's make sure it's the right one for you. So let's make sure you can even do those movements body weight once. Right. Because if you can't do that, it doesn't mean you can't train. It just means you have to pick different exercises so you'll be successful. Uh, the, 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 the best thing that'll happen is that'll be an inefficient training session, like what you described. They went through it and they're knocked out for two weeks because their body has to recover, even if it's even reliable. Like it, it, maybe they get injured, which would be the worst thing that can happen. Sure. So there's no way to know which one that is. Not everybody gets hurt when they don't move to a certain standard, but that standard has to be acknowledged from the program. Like we can't use the functional movement screen first and then not know what exercises you want to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, uh, you're, and that, that, that's really not opinion. Uh, whether it's a functional movement screen or not is uh, up for discussion. Uh, I have not found something to be more successful at determining those goals. But I think most people would agree that you have to at least be able to do what you want to do one time body weight before you do it a whole bunch of times with external load and with fatigue. So that's the first step. Then the, the, uh, it, if somebody had no, uh, like had a long gap in their fitness exposures, now you can do a test and you can do a six-minute bike test and you can do some kind of strength test. I think the, uh, maybe a, a very, very easy way of doing a strength test uh, is cable. You know, most people have access to a cable and a, and sure. a traditional pin system. And Take, uh, take, take one and, and you'll set it up at, in, in split stance. Uh, the leg that's back is the arm that's pulling and you're just going to row. And you're going to keep going, like stop if you think you're going to get more than eight. Once you feel like you can get eight reps, we just match that up to some standards. Or maybe you just match it up to yourself. So you test both arms, uh, both pushing and pulling. So we, there are standards to see like what is normal uh, eight repetitions. Because it's not going to be too heavy that you are jeopardizing joint strain, but it's not so much that energy systems are going to really start to be challenged here. So you're sure. just going to do a one-arm push, a one-arm pull. Like No one cannot do that, you know, provided their FMS shows that their, their joint is not uh, a health issue or a medical issue. And then you do split squats. Like kneel down on one knee, get up, get back down. I don't care if you're not using good form, because if you're not using good form, you're not going to use a lot of weight. And, uh, but again, my FMS would tell me if their ankles, knees, hips, and lumbar spine have any right to be even testing. So right. I think those three exercises 
really anyone can do. And if they can't do them well, maybe coaching them in some cueing actually improves their force production. But they could, their muscles could do it. They just didn't have the strategy. So we have to, when you choose a fitness test, like it can't be skillful. Like you can't do a hang clean sure. for just, just anybody. Because if you don't know how to do a hang clean, you're not going to learn uh, anything from that. They're just going to do some kind of crazy reverse curl or whatever. It's not going to be efficient. I think that if we do a one-arm row, a one-arm uh, uh, push, a one-arm press, uh, and a split squat, I think we're provided FMS gives us the, the rights to do these things, then you would go there. And then uh, most anybody can ride a stationary bike. Go six minutes as far as you can, and now you've got some ideas of which you can extrapolate their strength and fitness levels. Uh, I don't even know if that's always necessary uh, for the person you're describing. What I might do is set up, um, uh, uh, again, this is maybe a little bit more psychological, where I need you to not worry about it for give me, give me three weeks, give me six weeks, and we start with maybe two sets of 10 of six different exercises, and maybe the first week is you know, two, two sets of 10, two sets of 10, three sets of 10, two sets of 10. Like, you know, we stagger. And then the next week, it becomes two, three, and four. The week after, it's three, four, 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 five, et cetera. Maybe we get up to as many as six sets of 10. But you're going to pick exercises where 10 reps is like nothing. So you're going to pick some cut, provided that they have the FMS to support it, pick some kind of squat, pick some kind of hinge, pick some kind of pull. Pick, pick some kind of push, pick some kind of uh, anti-extension, and pick some kind of locomotion. Those are your six choices. Locomotion would be based on distance, not, not 10 reps. Sure. So uh, provided that everything is satisfactory, uh, a goblet squat, uh, a kettlebell deadlift, um, um, a, a dumbbell bench press, uh, a pull-up, or, uh, or even uh, a one-arm row, um, you know, a, a rollout on a ball or a wheelie, and then farmer's walk. And, and we're just going to do lots of repetition. So we've got lots of opportunities to move in these fundamental strategies, but you're always going to get out easy. And, and, I'll, and I'll, um, I'll quote a little bit or, or credit a little bit uh, Dan John, where the, he would describe this as like a, a park bench workout. There's, he would say in some ways there's yeah. two types of workouts. There's a park bench workout and there's a bus stop workout. So not everybody even knows you know, what it's like to get on a bus. But in New York, if you're waiting uh, for the bus, it's like, oh, oh my God, is it coming? Uh, oh, my God, if it doesn't get here in one minute, that means I'll miss the next one. And, uh, oh, my God, I don't want to sit next to that person. Oh, God, it's starting to rain. Like, yeah, the, a, a, bus, a, a bus stop workout is like very, very precise, very intense, very, very stressful, and it will bring you great rewards when the bus comes and takes you to your destination. Mm-hmm. You can only do that a couple times a year. You're really going to rev it up. You're going to take 8, 12 weeks and get ready for, for showtime. But the other types of workouts are park bench where you're just sitting there, you know, you're reading your book, you know, somebody walks by, uh, you wave, you know, you look up, you hear a little bird chirping. Everything is very, very low stress. And if you can't get 10 reps, doesn't matter. Uh, you're not going to pick a weight that's so stressful. I have found that um, the person you're describing uh, often uh, coming off injury, but they're actually healthy. Like mm-hmm. they've, they've gone through a very uh, acceptable rehab in terms of their pain. Uh, they healed, but their whole body didn't really recover yet. They, they didn't, their, their nervous system, you know, and, they, and they didn't have, they, they were not introduced to healthy stress 
like I described for you when your shoulder hurt, but your hips and legs did not. Sure. You should be squatting very, very much if that's what you normally do. You should be challenging because the systemic effects of, you know, can be very, very useful. Just let your shoulder relax. Now, not every shoulder is going to get better just from that. You just do legs. My, I'm going to look silly. My, no, no, you're not. You're going to look fine. Like, you know, just train your other arm. Well, I don't want to look lopsided. Nonsense. Like, this doesn't happen. And, in fact, there's a lot of neurological reasons to say working your good shoulder will make the bad shoulder feel better. It will help it heal faster. Sure. So those are some other types of things. But I would actually throw them into, uh, like, that easy strength uh, or, or uh, I ripped off the term uh, easy effort. Uh, the easy effort method to, to fit more into, you know, maximal effort method, dynamic effort method, repetition method, and the easy effort where everything is below 70%. You want to do 12 reps, go ahead. You know, but, but you're picking a weight that's like very, very much beneath you. And I think this can be useful even for people that are regularly training. Yes. And maybe that's, uh, they, they still maintain high levels of fitness and strength, but they, they're ready to start something new. Take a couple of weeks of easy effort, easy strength, and and then let's let's get back into it. Maybe then is a good time to do a, a fitness test and see where you're at in terms of your cardiovascular fitness. So if I'm understanding you correctly, you know, it's it's really it, it can be very beneficial for people that haven't been training consistently to go in and do kind of a, a fair amount of submaximal work and not thinking that they need to go in and be benching what they were benching in college as an example, or feeling like they need to load up the squat bar and crushing themselves in the gym uh, to the degree that they're likely to get just as much, if not maybe more benefit or prevent any potential injury by training at a, at a submaximal load, right? Cool. Hundred percent. If there was a list of things, and and I don't know that that reminding people of the mistakes that they make is a good thing to to do for people that are looking for help. But this is let's consider this educational for for uh, for the purposes of our talk. If there was a list that that I of what I think a lot of uh, general population um, makes mistakes, I, I don't think they're stupid. I think they know the wrong things. Um, it would be wrong to, to they think that they have to get to exhaustion uh, or failure for their, their, their investment in fitness uh, to, be, to be successful. Yeah. And in fact, there, there are very, very few, the most elite physical entities on earth do not go to failure. Um, that doesn't mean they don't test to failure, but they don't train to failure. So... Uh, even the best of the best don't don't do that. So I think it's absolutely correct. Uh, submaximal is an interesting word because over the last maybe little bit of time, you know, it's it's uh, and very. You know, I try to see what like what motivates a man, like what what makes a man or woman do what they do. Because I'm finding myself, I have no idea why they're doing that. I, I would, you know, uh, submaximal is like almost like a negative word. Like like I don't want to be sure. submaximal. I'm right. Maximal. Totally. So we have to find a, a, a maybe a better word that, that doesn't trigger uh, some kind of uh, potentially negative emotion. Um, but you're absolutely right. Like submaximal is the proper way to train. Even in the maximal effort method in, in, in probably the most successful powerlifting paradigm that, that we've ever seen, uh, you, you never miss the lift. That doesn't mean it doesn't happen, but your goal, the maximal effort method, is to get one to five repetitions over 90% 
uh, of your one RM, but you don't get psyched up, you don't get revved up, and you finish every lift. So there's still there, you you never miss. Now there are some methods that um, training to failure uh, stimulates certain types of adaptations, but we're not talking about that. Like with, with general population, yeah, I, I think you know it, it it's almost it almost uh, you know the the precision of what we're doing after lifting with good form to minimize joint wear and maximize force production. It almost doesn't matter. Like just totally. if you get yeah, it, it's it, we get caught up in like camps and and I like this guy's voice, so I'm going to follow what he does. I think if golly, if we did if we pick six exercises and did three sets of ten, like the the, the traditional bogus physical therapy number, uh, I think most people would start to do pretty good. Go, yeah, you know, let's find something between seventy and eighty percent. Uh, and maybe one of the one of the most successful and, and uh, strength and conditioning programs of all time is Bill Starr. Uh, the strong, only the strongest shall survive. He picked three exercises, and they were just different versions of sets of five. You know, on one day there's there's a set of eight and a set of three. But uh, you you got to go five sets of five real heavy. Another day was four sets of five real light, and another day was, if I'm not mistaken, three sets of five, one set of three, and one set of eight medium. And that was what you did. And you picked the same three exercises every, every day because it was – the exercises are just vehicles uh, based for what, how you look, how you feel, or how you do something else. Now, if you're going to do something else that's precise, ideally you'll pick exercises that we hope translate. But very, very few people, even elite athletes, are even at that level, in my opinion. Just, just do whatever. Um, I, I, I can ch- I remember stories that Charlie Francis would say – you know, great, one of the greatest strength coaches ever, uh, where he, he was Ben Johnson's track coach, maybe most, uh, uh, most notoriety. But he was training multiple Olympic-level sprinters. And he would say, yeah, you know, Ben would uh, do a lot of powerlifting. Uh, and Merlin Adi would do, I don't really know what she was doing. And Asafa Powell was doing, you know, more Olympic lifting. And it didn't matter because the, the, they all translated to sprinting. So sprinting is highly, highly general. Uh, so it's, it's, I think we get caught up in like, I have to do it this way. So I do not think that it even has to be done a certain way. And, but, uh, other, other than, than what you said was some maximal. Yeah. yeah. And, and other than just do something. So like, don't worry so much about, I, I, I want people to understand this. I want people listening to understand this is like, it doesn't matter the, you know, the type of training that you're doing for the most part, right? It's like, we want some level of strength. We want some, some level of, of cardiorespiratory fitness and most programs and group training programs out there have that to some degree. And so, you know, more important than exactly what you're doing is that you're actually doing it and you're doing it consistently. And then from there, it's like, okay, you're doing it consistently. You're doing it in a manner that's conducive to doing it long term, right? You're not beating yourself deeper and deeper into the ground. You're starting to get more intuitive with your body. You're understanding those days where maybe you feel like you can give 90 plus percent effort, but also being okay with the fact that there's days where it's like, you know what, this really probably is just like a 70% more go through the motion type of day, or maybe it's a skip it completely type of day with the understanding of like, I'll be right back at it tomorrow. You're going to get better. Like uh, resting is, is a good way to get better. Uh, so yeah, I, I, I agree completely. And, and, um, but, but, but I think, I think someone, you know, a lot of people, they still need shape. 
Uh, it's why there's a profession uh, uh, and it's an expert profession because anytime you give somebody money, it makes them an expert. So again, <laughs> going back to, to that person, uh, I would pick six exercises that fit into those six categories and uh, you know, take, take it over several weeks, uh, probably start to get up to five, six sets of 10. Uh, and we're getting a lot of exposure to movement. We're getting a lot of exposure to time under tension. Uh, I'd like all those movements to be full range. I'd like all those movements to be perfect form and the weight should, should support full range of motion. It should support, it should support uh, perfect form. And next thing you know, you're, you're ready for something much more intense. I don't know if it's that rugby training program, uh, but, but you'll, you'll be, you'll, you'll have built some kind of base. Uh, and that's just for strength training. We probably should find a, a couple opportunities to uh, take a look at your resting heart rate. And, and, and even if it's like, you know, we demonize uh, uh, 30 to 90 minutes of, of slow cardio. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, it, it's, you know, I don't know. It, it's, it, it, it has a role. Uh, it doesn't, it, it doesn't have a role for everyone as much as it does as people may want. You go to a commercial gym, you're going to see a lot of out of shape folks doing that. But every once in a while, you'll see some really fit people doing it because there's, there's a role for that. Um, but there's, it's, it's all, you know, there, there's a couple, you know, fundamentals that I think general population can fit. And then they take your message of, you know, it doesn't, how about we don't say it doesn't matter. Let's say it doesn't matter as much right now. It'll matter more later. And, sure. and I think that's a little bit uh, of, a, of a healthier way to look at it where I promise you will have the program you want. In my opinion, I think you, you I don't think you'll do very well with it right now. Sure. Uh, and that's and that's a way to, to to bring those messages together. Yeah, that sounds fair enough. So, tell us a little bit about your T equals R programs. In uh, it, I think it was two, it was two thousand nine. Uh, I was approached by a good friend of mine, Geraldine Coopersmith, who was a, a high administrator at Equinox, which is a national chain of very uh, um, high entry point uh, fitness facilities. And, 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 and she had identified, I think that was around maybe a year or two after you know, the internet started to create uh, messengers like, 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 like you and I. And, and, and uh, she's like, I'd like you to come in and teach our trainers bridging the gap between physical therapy and, 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 and personal training. And, and I said, I totally understand what you want, but let's talk this through because I don't think there's a gap. Like, I think it's the same thing. And, and from there, uh, one of the first seminars that we did with Equinox, part of the deal was I could film it. And that became my first DVD where, what, where primarily the, the, the mission statement of that DVD was being able to show trainers how they could be an active part of the rehabilitation process while the physical therapist worked on what they did. And it really created uh, a very ethical and very successful division of labor. And that's what I wanted to, to show on that first DVD. So it, it really is a train the trainer. But I think of, of all of the three DVDs, that one probably has a lot of plug and play where it shows you how to evaluate. It doesn't show you anything that a physical therapist would do. Uh, or, but it, ideally, the physical therapist would be generating the decisions and then handing them off to a trainer simply because based on what we were talking about before, it's, it's a more efficient way for that person to, to get access to some good, some, some really successful things. Um, and then I think three or four years later, I did another DVD based on 
the, the, the very flattering reception that the first one had. And it was really just an expose of what I had learned and what I had changed my mind about and what I wanted to discuss that I was motivating me over the last uh, few years. And, and the message there was almost trying to correct some of the mistakes that I had made in the first one, which was empowering fitness professionals to be bad physical therapists. Mm-hmm. And, and I think, I think uh, I'm not the only one, but I think some other uh, really uh, um, strong messengers are, we, we should take uh, uh, this responsibility of making some mistakes because there's a lot of courses out there now that I think found a home based on the gardening of the soil that someone like me did. And that's not, this is not a positive thing. I'm not patting myself on the back. I'm very disappointed yeah. uh, in, in what has happened because there's seminars that are clearly, clearly physical therapy seminars and probably 85% of their students are, are trainers. And, and I think I'm a part of that and, and I'm very disappointed in that. So the second DVD started to uh, condemn that, that thought process and demonstrate, no, that's not what I was doing. Like, I felt like I had to do that. And, and uh, I don't think at the time uh, I was negative, um, but, but maybe it wasn't the best uh, way. And I found that the second one, um, which again, huge, huge reception. Um, you know, a lot of people like listening to the bad guy talk a little bit, but, um, but I, I think the third one, I kind of brought those two messages back together in terms of division of labor and, and some of the things that we talked about with the six buckets of, of interventions and, and then shifted more towards fitness, which was where the last uh, several years, uh, as I got back into professional sports, uh, not that physical therapy and, and, and those types of things are easy to me, but I started to see throughout my learning like some even stronger links of physiology and neurology, and that, that was where I talked about and then got into uh, some training uh, programs that were plug and play uh, from the third DVD. So, again, I do think that there is value for somebody, but these are really train-the-trainer products, and, and these are things that uh, they were just – it's just a window into how I think over the last, in this case, six or seven years uh, since I started um, um, putting these together. So we do have a lot of trainers that, that listen to the show. And so where can they find those resources? Yeah, uh, char- com is my website okay. where there's a lot <laughs> of articles and, and some of the, the videos, uh, Facebook Live stuff. And then uh, being able to, to purchase the, the DVDs can all happen uh, through, through there. Beautiful. Yes, yeah, so yeah. all, you, uh, all you trainers listening, if anything that Charlie was saying resonated with you, which I'm sure if, if I know you guys and I know a lot of you guys listening, I'm sure it did, then uh, make sure you guys head over to his website and check out those useful resources. Uh, Charlie, thank you very much, man. I really appreciate uh, your insight and your wisdom and you taking the time out of your busy day to come and join us on the Smart Nutrition Made Simple show. Uh, man, I appreciate everything that you're doing. Cool, man. And we, we didn't even talk about nutrition. We didn't even talk about nutrition. But, <laughs> but it's, know, very, it's okay. very important. Nothing that I do matters if you don't have... Well, uh, so the thing nutrition. is that... I'm, I'm glad you brought it up, but the thing is that I feel like for a lot of people... You know, a lot of times we talk about how nutrition is the most important factor in getting someone healthy, like it's, you know, 80 or 90% of the battle. But I feel like for a lot of people, 
movement and physical activity is the bar- is like the lowest barrier to entry. And oftentimes it's where people find the most comfort in getting started. And so that's why I really wanted to offer resource for people listening to understand like when I do get started with physical activity, if, if that's what I'm ready for, if that's my barrier to entry, then what should I be focusing on? How should I focus on it in a manner that's conducive towards long-term growth, minimizing injury, and just kind of understanding those things, which I think you really did a good job in, in, in helping um, summarize. And so that, that was my, my thought process in terms of having your expertise here, and, and, and I really think it was extremely valuable. Yeah. Every, you, need, you need them all. I think, I think you're absolutely right from an entry point, but ultimately uh, great nutrition is, uh, or, or what nutrition brings, it should, should allow you to adapt. Uh, and, and you're not going to adapt unless you challenge yourself with environmental factors that have a reliable positive outcome. So you do, nutrition drives you to, to fitness. Uh, you might need rehab in the middle uh, and, uh, but, but yeah, I, I think you're absolutely right. We need, they're, they're all, everything is important and the individual will, his, his, his or her evaluation uh, will indicate where the best entry points are. Yeah, and it's the same, it's the same outlook that you're describing in terms of what we're doing with exercise. We're trying to get a baseline assessment. Same thing with nutrition is like, where are we deficient? You know, where's, where are a few areas that we could really, you know, bridge the gap? Um, do we need to add more vegetables? Do we need to take out, you know, more of the starchy carbs or processed foods or whatever it is and kind of identifying a few of those areas and then just starting to consistently work on those. And from there, it's just growth and consistency and, 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 and going through that undulating progression uh, that we all go through, but same idea. So I appreciate it, man. And uh, cool. we'll have to do it again and have a wonderful day. All right. Thanks, man. All right, buddy. Take care. I hope you guys enjoyed this episode with Charlie Weingroff. If you want to find any of the resources mentioned in this episode, you can find those links over in the show notes at bslnutrition.com forward slash episode four one. And don't forget to subscribe and leave a review in iTunes so that we can help more people make smart nutrition simple. I'm so, so appreciative for you every one of you taking time out of your day to join us on the Smart Nutrition Made Simple Show. I want to make sure that I am doing everything I can to address the questions that you have to interview the guests that you want to see on the show and to offer you the information that you are looking for that you feel like you need in your health journey, whether it's getting more energy, sleeping better, losing body fat, improving your digestion but i need to hear from you as to what you're looking for so do me a favor and shoot me an email and let me know what questions you have what is it that you're struggling with so that i can do my best to provide those resources for you and so shoot me an email ben at bslnutrition.com and i will make sure to do my best to uh to get that addressed thank you so much i hope you have a wonderful day and i'll catch you next week This episode was brought to you by BSL Nutrition and the Complete Essentials All-in-One Training Drink. If you've been looking for a comprehensive workout supplement that can help support great energy both in and around your workouts as well as reduce muscle soreness naturally without all the caffeine and artificial sweeteners, then head over to bslnutritionshop.com 
and type in podcast at checkout for 15% off your first purchase of either grape and or lemon lime.